Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment, and I'm calling in from the snowy, frigid slopes of Park City, Utah, where this year's Sundance Film Festival is currently unfolding. Throughout the festival, I will be rallying the best critics in town to debate and discuss each day's new premieres. So follow along on the Film Comment podcast and the Film Comment letter for roundtable discussions, interviews, dispatches, and more. Welcome to the second episode of the Film Comment podcast from the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. It is still extremely cold. Uh, it is still kind of hard to breathe up here. Uh, but the movies are churning on. And yesterday, if you heard uh, my episode with Alyssa Wilkinson and Abby Sun, you know that we were a little dispirited by how things kicked off here. I personally had a much better second day and I have a new crop of guests and some old in here to go through today's harvest. And uh, just a heads up that today's episode will be a kind of a little musical chairs. We're going to have some guests rotate in and out and, you know, just keep things exciting. Uh, but right now we have Sam. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm Sam Adams. I'm a senior editor at Slate. And if you were listening to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Sam was on our new uh, releases episode, New Year, New Releases. So glad to have you back. Thank you for having me. And a repeat uh, guest. Alyssa Wilkinson from Vox. I am returning briefly we've we saw each other like less than 24 hours so recently (laughs) so very recently yes and if you hear background noises such as a vacuum and other uh rumblings and you know chatterings you know we're in a festival Mm -hmm. we have found whatever spot was available it's an immersive experience exactly it is environmental sounds on the ground Mm -hmm. portage uh i wanted to get Alyssa and sam together to talk about a movie that they had just seen uh that i have not seen that was actually very recently announced and i'm i was very curious about and that is justice by doug lyman and it's about the brett kavanaugh hearings so sam maybe you want to start us off what's the movie about and what did you think of it sure yeah this is all very recent we're actually sitting about 50 feet from the theater where this movie finished about an hour ago this is a doug lyman's uh and amy hurdy's movie called Justice, um, which is about the confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh. This is sort of in what I think of now as kind of the Navalny slots on into this last year with that movie where they announced it like 24 hours before it arrived. That was supposedly because it was, you know, politically sensitive and they didn't want word to get out, but also maybe because they were just finishing. So this is a similar thing. Um, I think the, the revelations in this one are, are a little bit less um, explosive. We'll, I guess we'll see what people make of it, but that's my initial read of it. But it, it's a good sort of um, recapitulation of what went on in the hearings. And it's especially interesting because um, Christine Blasey Ford is, I mean, you see her and you see her testimony, but they did not interview her for this. And they focus um, a, a lot more attention on uh, one of Kavanaugh's other accusers, uh, Debbie Ramirez. Yeah. So it's, and it's a succinct, I would say, kind of um, encapsulation of like what happened and what didn't happen. Perhaps most notably um, FBI investigations that we all kind of were told had been conducted. I think the most interesting thing in the movie to me beyond Debbie Ramirez's actual testimony uh, sort of in conversation with the filmmakers is that 
you know, they really make the case that the FBI received a lot of information that they just never followed up on. Um, and one of the more interesting things that happened and maybe is important to say is that the cut of the movie we just saw is likely not the one that anyone else will see um, because they said once they announced that the film was coming to Sundance, they immediately started getting more tips from people around Whoa. the country and they were talking about recutting the film. Well, And also, they also said it was shorter than their initial cut, which is all, you know, final cuts are shorter than the initial cut, but they said specifically that they brought on um, Doug Lyman and Amy Herter made this cut, and then they brought on um, Liz Garbus as a as a producer, who's a very experienced sort of investigative uh, documentarian. And this is Doug Lyman's uh, first documentary. Um, and they were like, "Well, here's all the things you have to take Doug out." Doug Lyman of, of Born Identity, yes. Yes. fame, Born right? Identity. Just, just to clarify, yeah, yeah. Although I think it's worth pointing out that he is also um, his his father, I believe, was the, the lead investigator on the Iran Contra hearings. So he sort of has a, a long, you know, history of interest in these sorts of things. Um, but apparently, but he's never made a documentary before, and so apparently they took you know whatever length that cut was to Liz Garbus, and there was like here are all the things that have to come out so you don't get sued, you know, so this movie doesn't get stopped by legal action or whatever. So I think one of the reasons why this 85 minute festival cut is you know quite short for what it is is because they just lifted a bunch of things out of it that were going to prevent it from going any farther. Yeah. I think it, you know, it's a powerful watch as these kinds of movies often are. I've seen movies about, I don't know, um, Harvey Weinstein here or uh, the Michael Jackson movies that were here a few years ago. Sundance does love a topical documentary. They truly do. Yeah. And they're not too afraid to do one that's going to get a lot of blowback. Um, although often it's like blowback from people on the internet. Um, and this is more blowback from people who would like to sue them. Another one that I can think of from recent years is On the Record, the documentary about yeah. uh, one of the uh, women who was assaulted by Russell Simmons. Yes. And that was a huge controversy kind of bonanza. It really was. Yeah. And that one got a little bit kind of buried because the it premiered in 2020 and then the pandemic happened. And by the time it came out, things were different. Um as far as like how people were watching movies. But, you know, this definitely is in that, I think, vein. Uh, the difference, um, as as Sam said, is that, uh, you know, most of the stuff in here, I think, is public record. I don't, you know, I'm not like super well-versed on what happened five years ago with this case. But, um, but I do think that the, it's very powerful to have uh, someone sitting in front of you telling you their testimony rather than reading about it in an article, even though Debbie Ramirez's um, allegations were very carefully detailed in Ronan Farrow's New Yorker article. Um, and I always think that's one of the more powerful things that these kinds of documentaries can do. You kind of answered a question that I was just going to ask you, which is that does it pass my litmus test of could this have been an article? I mean, it was, in <laughs> fact, several articles. Yeah, but, it is, right. but it is a little different in this. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. see... Debbie Ramirez, I mean, they make the case in the movie, among other people, Rick Wilson, who's like a sort of conservative turned, um, I guess, less conservative Lincoln operative. Project yes, the guy, Lincoln Project yeah. guy. But he, he's like, he makes the case that the story is very deliberately buried. And I th and it certainly did not get um, the play that Christine Blasey Ford's accusations. And Debbie Ramirez, just a sort of the very brief pricey of this, is she was a student at Yale um, when Kavanaugh was there. And this, this you know, her allegation is that um, basically there was a sort of frat party. He got very drunk and exposed himself to her and basically like stuck his penis right in her face. Um, and actually this, this movie, I think, maybe takes it a step further for the sort of like a second encounter um 
which oh, I'm also with Debbie Ramirez, possibly, yes, yeah, like, and maybe yes. another, and also another woman. So there's there's sort of all these pieces that when they come when they kind of trickle out piecemeal in the press, sometimes it can be hard to keep track, especially if we're talking about the Trump administration and men behaving badly, right? Um, but also, um, I I do think that there's power to embodied testimony, and I think many of us saw. Christine Blasey Ford's testimony, but haven't heard from some other people. And I do think like the embodiment part is, you know, I right. Mean, right. Because there were a number of accusers and, and, you know, they make the point in the movie as, as, I mean, if you were following up the case, you know, at the time, I mean, they got, you know, thousands and thousands of tips that, you know, they're getting more and the FBI just didn't investigate them at all. They spent a week on it that, you know, mostly they just sort 4, of handed, 500 yes, tips. Yeah. Yes. And then they just handed them off to the Trump administration. It didn't do any investigation themselves. This and, was after the hearings. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They agreed to delay the confirmation vote for a week. Right. So right. the FBI could investigate because of course it only takes a week to investigate this. And then they right. just basically, they only talked to people who said that they want, said that they could confirm Brett Kavanaugh's side of the story that nothing happened. It didn't talk to any of the people um, who would confirm that he was lying. Um, <laughs> and so naturally they got, you know, they came to the conclusion that nothing had happened. Um, and you know, but I think one of the stronger cases the film makes is that Brett Kavanaugh perjured himself repeatedly. Yes. Um, before a congressional panel, which is not something nobody said before, but you kind of watch it happen and it, and it's baffling and disturbing to watch. Um, so I have another question. Obviously I haven't seen this movie, so these are just, you know, things I'm curious about. Is this the kind of movie that is preaching to the choir or is it could it change minds? And I'm not saying every movie has to change minds, but yeah. with these sorts of political documentaries, I'm always kind of wary of I, that. I so I was thinking about that while I was watching it because I often have this question myself. And my answer is probably most people who watch it are going to be in agreement with it. But I do think with a case like this in particular, we have people who sort of want to believe the women who have these allegations, but feel like, uh, I don't know, like teenage boys, they do stuff, like maybe there was some mistake. And I think that um, there are like a lot of people who think that way. And if if they can be brought into watching a film like this, I think it at least makes a stronger case that actually this is a serious matter, um, not only because of the allegations, but also because of the perjury. Um, the question with this kind of thing in this context is always, will, will people watch it? And we often see that people just don't want to watch movies like this and how I can't hardly blame them, right? So There's an interesting moment in the Q&A after the film where uh, Doug Lyman was saying, I think Basil Siokas, the programmer, essentially asked them that question. And Doug Lyman said, well, look, you know, these, this uh, Debbie Ramirez story in particular has been forgotten. You know, I just want to kind of put that out. People remind that this, that this has happened. And if that's what this movie does, I'm happy with that. And then Amy Hurdy, and he's again first time documentary filmmaker. Amy Hurdy, who is like a, one of Polk and is a investigative journalist, um, kind of said like, Doug, due respect, I'm not happy with that, and I actually I want the investigation to be reopened, and I think this movie can do that. And yeah, and yeah. yeah, and you just never really know, right? Um, but the impact of Sundance documentaries of this kind has been, I would say, uneven but interesting to to note. Like, I definitely have different opinions of certain public figures because of the ones that I've seen. Um, so, what I, I would definitely recommend it to someone who felt like they weren't, they didn't know how they felt. Right. 
Well, thanks so much, uh, Alyssa. It's, yes. I'm going to kick you off oh, now. Okay. <laughs> off you go can, and drink I your beer. I can handle it. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we'll, we'll obviously see you again. And we're, we have a, another guest joining us. I think of a film comment debutante, which I always love doing that at festivals. And she just got here uh, after watching a movie that I'm really excited to discuss with her. Kayla, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Kayla Myers, and I'm a programmer and Black Creators Forum manager at the Indie Memphis Film Festival. Cool. It's great to have you here. And I know that you just got out of Earth Mama. Yes. And you probably have lots of feelings because I had lots of feelings after I saw it this morning. Okay. So we'll get into that. But Sam, I wanted to ask you about some of the other movies you've seen. What else have you seen today that maybe stood out to you? Um, well, I saw Fair Play, um, which I liked a lot. Um, and this Have is you seen that, Kayla? No, not yet. Me neither, but give us a tease. Yeah, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm getting, you know, as you said, like I think we all it's commonly agree that the festival got off to like a pretty slow start this year. And there is like, you know, it's Friday night, which is at the point in film festivals where you start to get like, I haven't seen a masterpiece yet. Like, am I just, have I wasted my time and uh, everything else coming here? Um, so that's, I would not say Fair Play is a masterpiece, but I, uh -huh. I enjoyed it a lot. It's sort of, um, it's more of a sort of like relationship drama than erotic thriller, which is what people have been pegging it as, but it definitely sort of follows that form. It's essentially about this um, couple, um, Phoebe Dynavor and Alden Ehrenreich, who work at this um, kind of, you know, Wall Street finance firm, and they're, you know, in love, have super hot sex, um, and then she gets promoted above him, um, and bad things start to happen in their relationship. Um, so it, it's, it goes in a lot of sort of interesting directions. It sort of verges on satire at times. It also then kind of becomes more of a film about like abusive relationships um, and then takes on a little little hint of like Grand Guignol at the end, um, which is great. Um, it is, you know, not a movie I immediately know what I think about, but it's the first movie I've seen here that I kind of like actually want more people to see so that we can talk about it. So, um, and I... It, the buzz on it has been like pretty strong. So I think that's going to be happening, but that's like, is an encouraging sign at this point? Great. So. Well, I'm super excited to watch it tomorrow and then discuss it. Uh, I saw you tweet that this is a movie you like, will want to talk about with other people. You're listening to the film comment podcast. Sign up today for the film comment letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Kayla, let's get into Earth Mama. Do you want to maybe walk us into, you know, what the movie's about, give a short tracy to listeners? Yeah, of course. Um, so Earth Mama centers on Gia, who is a young mother of two children, and she's expecting a third child. And the film kind of follows Gia on her journey, um, sort of figuring out if she wants to keep this third child or if she wants to put this child up for adoption. Um, her two previous children are currently in the custody of CPS, and so she's really trying to balance, um, you know, going through all these hoops that the state requires in order to prove that you're a fit parent, while also sort of debating whether or not she still 
a fit parent if she decides to let this child go. Um, yeah, and I and it it's it's quite a journey with Gia. It's very internal, but also um, really connected to nature in a way that I think is really really um, interesting. Yeah, and uh, it's directed by Savannah Leaf, mm-hmm. uh, who's done music videos and kind of has been an artist for a while. But I believe this is her first feature film, and I truly found it so remarkable for a first feature. I mean, it, it, you know, while I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is the kind of film that one hopes to discover in like one's ideal of Sundance. You know, you come here and you discover a new auteur, indie auteur like this. Right, and that doesn't even happen like every year, let alone to you in the small section of the festival that one person can get through, but it's like, it's such magic. I know, and I really felt that. And, uh, you know, when you summarize the film, there's... It sounds like the kind of film that you might see a lot, mm-hmm. you know, at Sundance and other festivals, uh, and you might expect a kind of gritty social realist drama. And this is a kind of grim and gritty film, but there's just this aura of magic to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it is it is shot so beautifully on this, you know, it's grainy film. And what immediately struck me was that almost everyone we see on screen, almost everyone, not everyone, but, you know, they're poor and destitute and, and you know, many of them are addicts. They're going through pretty rough circumstances. Uh, they don't live in, like, you know, nice houses. Mm-hmm. But everyone looks beautiful. And that I don't mean that they look beautiful in a fake way, like, you know, like models cast in roles that, you know, <laughs> regular people should be playing. But they are filmed in a way that their skin is luminous. You know, their hair sparkles, like their clothes pop. I, I just felt like that was such a, this detail that really stuck struck me that you can like make a world and a people look beautiful without necessarily aestheticizing or falsifying the reality of their circumstances and it's a mark of the film's like wonderful sense of empathy because it opens with this kind of prologue. Gia, basically a lot of the film follows her as she goes through various classes and support groups for mothers whose children have been separated by the state, many of whom have struggles with addiction or, you know, other temper problems or whatever. Um, and, you know, they have to go through, fulfill all these requirements, go through all these classes in order to like qualify to get their children back. And it opens with one woman who's not Gia, a kind of anonymous woman at one of these support group type meetings, uh, just talking, like facing the camera, just talking. And she's saying, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She's saying, I don't want empathy. You know, I don't I don't need you to like walk in my shoes because you can't walk in my shoes. I don't need people to relate to me. I just want like I just want in a sense, she's saying solidarity, but I don't really need anyone to try to understand me and um, I felt like that is something the film really embodies I think Gia's decisions are so complicated some choices she makes are so complicated I don't think any of us can try to relate or sympathize unless we've been through those exact circumstances Mm -hmm. but the film isn't asking you to do that it's just asking you to you know, observe her as a full human being with hopes and dreams and understand that everyone has this whole stack of circumstances that, you know, shapes what we end up doing. But it, And it also is, is a really moving portrait of how the system is stacked against poor women, against black women. Uh, you know, once they're in that hole, it's so hard for them to dig, you know, dig themselves out of it. But all of this is conveyed through 
such a naturalistic portrait of young women, you know, just kind of learning how to live. Yeah, I was very taken with it. Yeah, I because I, I definitely feel like that solidarity especially comes through when we're literally walking with her and these um, there are these moments that that very specifically depict nature and I'm not from the Bay Area, but it is a lot of that Bay Area, like red, redwood scenery that um, Gia is kind of, she literally goes on a walk with a friend in a place where her friend is like, oh, I didn't know this existed before. And she's like, the ocean's on this side, the forest is on this side. And that moment really, really struck me because it is sort of like, we are just walking literally with her down this path. You hear the sounds of the water. Um, and I think it's something that, for me was really moving about the film that there are these naturalistic moments. Um, and I think sometimes people tend to feel like they need to fully understand the character to really understand all their motivations to feel like the story fully works. But I don't think you need that. I think you needed spent to spend time with Gia and that's exactly what the film allows you to do. And there's moments where the camera um, just kind of lingers on her face and we're allowed to just sort of see that all play out. Um, and I think especially when we kind of see her form as a pregnant woman, like that's something that I just feel like we don't get a lot in in movies where it's really just a time to just rest with her and her body and the fact that she is in- um, And she's nine months pregnant throughout yeah, the film. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so much of the film is just dwelling in time and space with her. And there are these casual conversations between her and her friends, just casual conversations about spirituality and religion and nature. And they're just profound in a way that feels completely unforced. I mean, you genuinely can picture young women talking like this, you know, but at the same time, there's such gravity to everything um, they're discussing. So... Yeah, definitely a standout for me and uh, may end up being like one of the best of the fest. It is already, it is an A24 film. I believe A24 uh, developed it too. So, you know, it has, it's going to be on its way to theaters or at least it has a path to uh, distribution. So, you know, people will get to see it relatively soon, which I'm excited about. Yeah, you guys make a great case for it. And like one of the great things about being at festivals is just like overhearing people talk about stuff and be like, oh my God, I really have to see that now. And you so, retool like, your yeah. schedule because yes. you're like, ah, I thought this was going to be bad. Yeah, no, I always like, I always say, you, you like make up a film festival schedule just so you have something to rip apart and like put other things in. So yeah. yeah well, um, Sam, I know you have to go to a movie very soon, but before that, did you, do you want to tell us about another movie you've seen today? I, I know you saw To Live... And to die and to live. I said to live and to live and die and live. Yeah, okay. which sort of reminds me just very broadly of what you're talking about with Earth Mama as well. This is um, a story set in you know entirely in Detroit. Um, I think uh, like the, the, they were saying before, and like all the sort of cast and crew, or, or, or at least the the crew, and um, are from there. And it's about um, it's a, it's sort of like an oblique narrative in a, in a way that like if you broke it down the story beats, it would sound kind of very sort of Sundance typical. But then it like the information is like parceled out in a certain way that you just know this um, this main character is like coming back to Detroit. He's been away for a while. Um, his uh, this person who's just died who you, you sort of eventually figure out is his 
stepfather. Um, and then it becomes, you find out that the main character is, is a filmmaker and he's coming back and his, his whole family thinks that he's been super successful, but actually he's sort of like just hanging on um, and they assume he's going to have all this money to pay for the funeral and stuff, but actually he's um, very kind of confused about what he's been doing and also like struggling with alcoholism. Um, it's also about sort of um, sort of urban renewal, particularly in sort of like the black community in Detroit and how... Um, you know, he went away to L.A. to make movies, but is now like, uh, you know, my stepfather was in construction and grew up was actually like, you know, restoring buildings and doing stuff in the community and projects. And that feels like so much more meaningful to him mm. um, than the work he's gone off and gone off and doing. So it, it is, um, you know, the, the story sort of like came and went for me, but it was it was a really like um, striking film to look at. That sort of luminosity you were talking about with the mm -hmm. characters and Earth Mama is very much in this. Like I just, it's kind of movie when I think back on it, like I just, like I get sort of like colors in my mind. One of the shots, like a sort of like, like luminous, like red and blue, um, you know, and it's, it's um, just got a real sort of interesting like through line to it as well as the kind of movie where like every scene there's somebody wearing some, t-shirt or there's like a neon sign and you know in a mirror in the background about like how detroit's coming up again um and stuff like that and living in a living in philadelphia which is another city which is kind of keeps trying to like get back, back on its feet in a certain way um i really like you know found that part of the story like very interesting as well um so it's in the next section um and i sort of expecting something like a little more experimental and this felt a little bit like maybe they they had a sort of you know, a story that felt too straightforward and then just tried to like remix it a little bit. But, you know, it's like, that's, that's ultimately as good a way as telling a story as, as any other. And, um, but, you know, I don't know how much farther it's going to go than the festival, but I was like pretty happy while I was watching it. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to see the things that somehow sometimes end up in next, which often feels like a very, maybe uh, intentionally amorphously defined right. category because new, new frontiers on, one side and that's where you end up seeing more like actually experimental stuff and immersive interactive even though we don't have that here this year uh and then next is sort of like pushing the boundaries of storytelling and um well i think you have to go watch polite society now. yes i do i'm a big uh we are lady parts fan so i'm very excited for anita menzor's yes, movie so yeah. yes yeah i'm i'm super excited about it too i'm gonna see it tomorrow so we'll get to it on the podcast later maybe maybe yeah. we'll have you back for that okay. i'm also seeing it tomorrow okay well we gotta you know reconvene to talk about polite society All right. but sam we will let you go and get in line at the ray now oh very good thank you so much thank you so much Enjoy. for joining and i'll um yeah we'll have you back soon and see you around at the festival okay great all right thank you. have a good night kayla it's just you and me now yay and then there were two <laughs> but you know we were just talking about documentaries and and you know what counts as a documentary and what counts as something more innovative and you often do program in that space I mean at Indie Memphis I know you do all kinds of programming but you also worked at the dockyard yes, yes yeah. Um, yeah and I'm actually curious to hear about any I mean it's only been a couple of days but it, it, have you seen any documentaries you really loved yet so I actually got to watch some of the documentary shorts program earlier today um, and I haven't finished that block but one of the ones that I found really interesting is the first film in the block um, called Shirampari Legacies of the River. Um, and it's sort of about this um, indigenous sort of fishing practice, particularly with catfish. Um, and I thought it was really interesting just in terms of just 
it's very observational, um, but there's they're very much in the water with them, which I think is always very interesting for me. The idea of um, how close cinematographers are really um, down to be with their participants in a film. And there's a particular moment when Ricky, who is sort of the um, younger man sort of being taught in this tradition, in this tradition, in the short, um, manages to catch a catfish and the catfish kind of bumps the camera. Um, and so that really stuck out to me. I'm watching those block of shorts. And there's another short in there, um, called Call Me Mommy, which is a really interesting look at, um, an older woman who works in sex work, um, and her children, very much have a good and healthy relationship with her and her work, but she's been sort of shunned by her family in that practice. Um, and it's really interesting sort of hearing her talk about her relationship to her work, her relationship to her children, um, but also how much her mother would have really supported her in this. And for some reason, I feel like this day has been very much about mothers because um, I watched Mommy Wata starting today and then I watched that short in between things and then watching Earth Mama, I felt very much like a day about mothering and what that really looks like. And it's like many various forms. So. Yeah, actually, it's so funny. Right after I saw Earth Mama, I saw this film called Animalia by the filmmaker, I think Moroccan French writer director, Sophia Aloui. And that film was such a strange cousin of Earth Mama, actually. The protagonist is also a pregnant woman in Morocco. And um, she is she's married into this ultra, ultra wealthy family. I mean, they live on this estate next to a lake that looks regal, you know, something out of like uh, some kind of royal fantasy. And the opening of the film really kind of zones in on the decor of the home, you know, the kind of grand, the grandeur, the scale, all the like gilded objects here. At the same time, the kind of isolation of the home. So you get the sense that everything is big and beautiful and shiny, but this giant space is occupied by four people who don't talk to each other much. And that's the protagonist, her husband and her in-laws. The movie like kind of goes off the rails very quickly and um, it didn't quite work for me ultimately, but it's quite, you know, it was unlike anything I'd seen. So her husband, her in-laws go off on some business trip, leaving her alone. And a few hours after they leave, there's some kind of apocalyptic incident, which initially seems like a political incident, but then soon becomes, it becomes clear that there's something like some kind of otherworldly forces at play. And the network, uh, you know, she loses like phone network, the lights go out. Uh, then be, her husband pays like a neighbor to like ferry, like basically um, transport her on like a bullock, not a bullock cart, like um let me just say that again. Uh, her husband like pays a neighbor to like transport her to where he is, but the neighbor's trying to save his family, so she gets stranded in the middle of nowhere. Stays at this like strange hotel where she develops these relationships with the dogs that seem to be everywhere, and she wakes up in the middle of the night to see the dogs sitting in a circle as if they're having some like you know seance or prayer meeting. Animals are doing all sorts of weird things. There's this other man who, who you know, offers to take her to her husband. So she goes on this other sort of journey, meets a teenage boy who says he's seven and also speaks like, like a, a divine spirit. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in this movie. 
And there's like all these debates about religion. She's very religious. And the people, a lot of the people she's she encounters on this journey are not religious in the sense that, you know, they express these arguments about, well, you know, if God was real, why would we be poor? Like, why would poverty be a thing? So they have this kind of... Um, class-based, you know, a critique of religion and of the kind of religion that she and the people she is with practice. And so there's all these philosophical, ethical debates that she has with people on the way. And by the end, she has some kind of awakening about the nature of the universe and also about class inequality. And I'm not sure how it all comes together, but there is these scenes of like oneness with the nature and with the world that were very Earth Mama-ish. But I just feel like this is a movie that looks beautiful and that feels so rich. And, you know, you don't often, at least at American festivals, see these kinds of movies coming from, uh, you know, North Africa or the Middle East, you know, kind of weird, some dystopian sci-fi. I mean, I think it made me excited to see what the filmmaker is doing next. But the movie itself is just like, it made no sense to me. I mean, it, it it's like this jumble of strange ideas that don't come together, that feel pretty surface level. And I kept wondering if there's some kind of cultural context or some kind of uh, spiritual context that I'm missing that maybe clarifies this to a viewer who's more, um, you know, informed. But anyway, that was another, you know, mama movie (laughs) that I saw today. And I want to hear about Mami Wata, which is your, which is yet another Mama movie in this yeah. in this day of um, motherly films. Yeah, it it like chiefly concerns Mami Wata, the water goddess of West African folklore. And it's interesting that it's a film that sort of feels like as much as it is about her as the goddess, it is about the relationship that um, this chief. Um, She's not, they don't call her a priestess. They call her a different word, Mm. Um, like interpreter, but that is not the word that they use in the film. So Um, she's kind of like a kind of medium or something, like a spiritual medium. Okay. Like she is the main person who sort of communicates um, Mami Wata and she has two daughters. And so the film is sort of about their relationship, but also about this sort of encroaching um, threat from a more militant man who washes upon um, the shore and promises all of these things. And it's in, it's a very, very interesting film. It's all shot in black and white cinematography that really, really worked for me. And I think where's it set? I mean, where's the film from? Yeah, it's directed by this Nigerian filmmaker named CJ Obasi, who's made previous films that um, also sort of have these sort of somewhat mystical elements but also very much concerning specific villages and experiences um it's not very clear exactly where the film is set but it's but mommy wanta is a west african folklore and so the black and white cinematography i felt like especially really worked for me i think i can be really harsh on how it looks especially in modern filmmaking because sometimes it kind of just feels like people kind of slap a filter without really thinking about the textures and like shadows that you can really get from black and white cinematography. And it does that. It, it, really people use it as shorthand to be quirky. Yeah. Dead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or for a sense of exoticism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and you often see films like that. at Sundance, yes. I'm afraid. <laughs> so I, I get your skepticism. Yeah. But, but this did it well. Yeah. It did it really well. There's some really nice, um, 
the lighting is really nice and really done so well. And like people's faces, similar to what you were saying about Earth Mama, there's a really, there's such reverence in the way that people are filmed and the way that they're lit um, throughout the film. And I think that's probably as much as I can say about it right now. But I, yeah, I found it so, so interesting and glad that it started off my day of mothering um, that I did not anticipate. But um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Great. Well, I think that's a good point to wrap up the podcast. We've gotten through a bunch of movies and it sounds like today was the day of mothers Yes. Uh, at Sundance. We're going to be back tomorrow with more movies. Uh, Kayla and I are going to see Fair Play and Polite Society tomorrow, it seems. So we'll yes. definitely have that to talk about. And of course, there's like an entire other week yes. uh, of premieres to go. So we'll be back. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Kayla, for joining yeah. in this like musical chairsy yeah, sort of chaotic you. episode. But you know how hard it is to schedule things yes. at Sundance. Thank but you for having me. Of course. And uh, see you again soon. Yes, absolutely. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.